good to be with you this morning and to be back. I've been gone for a little while. Some of you may not have noticed. Others may have. Some of you may not recognize me. I did change my hair as well. Um, the kids, some of them thought maybe I became a monk or something since I shaved it so short, but just time for a change. Um, for those of you who don't know where I was and what I was doing, um, when you've been at our church for seven years, um, one of the things the church does for the pastors is they, they give you a sabbatical, one month to, to go away, to refresh, renew. It's not a vacation. It's not like you just lay around the house and uh, you know eat food and sleep in, you know that type of thing. But they want it geared towards you, you know, for you and for your family. So just to let you know a little bit of, of what I did while I was away, um, I have actually it was the first senior pastor that I came in under has done a lot with prayer. Um, just a, a strong man of prayer. He's written journals, he's written books, just workbooks, different things like that. So I met with him on over what would be a good strategy for me because one of the areas that I felt I needed rejuvenated in was was my prayer life. And uh, so we set up kind of a schedule and I had a cottage that I went away to the first few days of each week and would just be there, time alone, um, with me and God. And then the weekends were spent with my family and then the fourth week that I was gone, my wife and I um, went to a pastor's retreat place over in Ohio. Um, just a great time for the two of us to kind of get reconnected and just spending time with God as as a couple. So that's where I've been the last uh, four weeks, month. Um, so now I'm back and just uh, excited to be back. Missed the youth. It was good to be away. So it's just, you know, a, a, a good thing all around. One of the greatest parts of it was, you know, just being gone that week with, with my wife, but then coming home and... Uh, you know, we got home before our kids got out of school and uh, being in our living room and having them coming in because they thought we weren't getting home till later in the evening and then them seeing us and just running into your arms and saying, Daddy, you know, and, and, and that just that reunion after being gone for five days that they knew who I was. And it's just a great feeling. How many of you, you know, it's a great feeling for someone to know who you are, right, to recognize you, to, to know your name. And that's where we're going to go this morning, um, is looking at who you are. And, you know, I posed the question, it was kind of a question, the, the, my sermon title was, was, Who Are You? And I take that from a passage of Scripture out of Acts chapter 19, and, and I want to read that to you, and it will be up on the, the screen as, as well. Um, Acts chapter 19, beginning with, Verse 11 is what I want, where I want to start with you. And it just says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. So just a little bit of background. Here's Paul, um, great man of God. We're going to look at him a little bit later too. But just incredible things were happening around him. I know this starts with 13, but I wanted to start with 11 and 12. So you knew some great things were happening. People around Paul were just seeing him do miracles. And, and so a lot of word got out, hey, cool things were happening. Well, so many times when something good is happening, other people try to imitate it. It happens all the time today. If a good product goes out and everyone's buying this product, what do you get? You just get flooded with imitations because people want to get in on the deal. Well, the same thing happened with Paul. Here, 
incredible things were going. He was doing that for Christ. He was doing that for, for Jesus. And if you start reading in verse 13, now some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Okay? So, these seven guys were walking around saying, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, okay, I command you to come out. So, they're thinking, well, man, Paul is doing all of this. You know what? Maybe we can use his name and get some of this glory as well. Okay? Well, as they were doing this, their name, they were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest. They were the ones doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them. Okay? And he said, Jesus, I know. I know about Paul, but who are you? Okay, so the evil spirit said, you know what? I know who Jesus is. I know who Paul is, but I have no clue who you are in trying to command me to come out of this person. If you read what happens next, then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Okay? These guys had no clue. The demons, the evil spirits had no clue who these guys were. And that's what we're going to talk about today is who are you? Another rendering of, of the last verse, 17. I just would like to read it to you out of the message because we're going to go that route and I just like the way it states it. It says it was soon news all over Ephesus among both Jews and Greeks. The realization spread that God was in and behind this. And read this last part. Curiosity about Paul developed into reverence for the Master Jesus. Okay, So when people got curious about Paul, did they see Paul? No, it turned them right to Jesus. What an incredible thought that they got curious about this guy, what he was doing. And it wasn't, oh man, this Paul is a really cool dude. It was, man, I need to know who Jesus is. And I'd like to pose that question to you this morning. If the same thing happened to you, if you were standing there and you had said, in the name of Jesus and who Paul preaches, I command you to come out, would the demon turn around or the evil spirit turn around and say to you, you know what, I know who Jesus is. I know who Paul is. But I have no clue who you are. Who are you? To try to have command over me. Or would that evil spirit say to you, you know what, I know Jesus is, I know who Paul is, and I know who you are. You know, I'm going to back away because you're on Jesus' side. Where are you in that picture? Does Satan really know who you are? Does it matter? to him that he knows your name that you're doing great things for him so that's what I want you to be thinking about this morning as we go through this how did Paul then get to the place that evil spirits even said you know what we know who Paul is we're not going to mess with him you know how did he get there it's kind of simple but also it's hard for us to do. Okay. The first thing that happened with Paul was that basically God chose Paul. God chose Paul. 
If you're familiar with the story, great. If not, I'll give you a little bit of history on it. Paul's name was actually, he started out as a guy named Saul in the Bible. And basically, he was on the opposite end of the spectrum of where we see him now because he actually went around killing Christians, persecuting them, putting them in jail, okay? doing what he could to eliminate them from the face of the earth. Okay? One day, he was going down a road. A bright light flashed. God spoke to him and said, you know what? I'm choosing you to do something different. You know, and I think sometimes in our heads, we think, well, man, if God did that for me, if all of a sudden he showed up in a bright light and he spoke to me audibly, that, well, yeah, then I'd do the same thing that Paul did and start following him. You know, we don't need that. I think we get it in our head, well, if God did this, then we'll do everything for him. If you're not doing things for him now, when he does that, you're still not going to. You know, but that's what happened to Paul. That's his story. Maybe for some of you that may happen. And that's great if it does. But that's what happened to Paul. And that's where God ch- chose him. And what happened? There was a change. When God chooses you, there needs to be a change. For Paul, like I said, his name was Saul. He changed it to Paul. He had to do a 180 degree basically turnaround in how he was living because he had to really prove himself especially to the other Christians. Because here is a guy who was killing them, and now he's walking into them and saying, I'm one of you. You know? And a lot of them are like, we, you know, I don't know. You may just be doing this to get inside, and then you're just going to tear us all apart. And he had to really, really prove himself. There may be some of you here this morning that God is just waiting there to choose you. Maybe he's tried before and instead of like Paul and saying, okay, God, I'm yours, you're saying, no. I don't want you. But you're at that point. If you want to get to the point where you're getting into God, where he's using you in a mighty way, you have to let him first of all get to you and to choose you. And you need to let that happen. You need to quit resisting it. And when he does choose you, it's awesome. It's great. It's not perfect, but it's a great place to be. So, the first thing is just basically that God chose him. That's how he started on that path to get to the point where even evil spirits were saying, I know who Paul is. And, you know, we stay away from him. He has power over us. The second thing, how did Paul continue to get closer to God and get to that point, just flip that statement around. After God chose Paul, Paul decided to choose God. Okay? And he decided, you know what? I want to get the close, as close to God as I can. I want to get there. How did he do that? We're going to just talk about two things this morning. They're simple, they're easy, but they're difficult for us to make time for and for us to do. And this is where we all struggle. And I wish I could say here and hand you out a piece of paper and say this is what you do, follow these steps, and you're going to be close to God and everything's going to be great, but I can't. There's two things though, if you look and you read through Acts, all about Paul and the things he did and then through his other writings, Paul was in God's word big time. 
And then he also was a man of prayer. Those two things. Simple things. But yet do we do them? We may at times, or we struggle with them, or we don't do them at all. Let's look at God's Word. If you read, the thing that amazes me about Paul is, yes, before God chose him, he knew some Scripture. He knew it. I mean, he was there. He studied it. But he was using it the wrong way. But when you hear him then preach, if you look through Acts, it seems like almost every other verse, he is quoting Scripture from the Old Testament. He says, here it says this. Here it says this. Here it says this, and he just goes through it. And you're like, man, he knows his scripture. That's part of getting close to God. How do you study scripture? I wish I could say do this. But for each person, it's going to be different. One of the things I encourage you not to do, and hopefully I won't step on anyone's toes, don't go out and buy the one-minute Bible that they have um, in bookstores. That really frustrates me because it's like we get to this point where, you know what, um, you're so busy, we've created a product for you that you can have your time with God in one minute a day. Maybe that's a good help, you know, but you need to be doing so much. So if you have that, I'm sorry, but that's the way I, I feel on, on those type of products that it's kind of like, here, get God in a minute, you're done, you can be out the door. It doesn't work that way. Paul wouldn't have known all the scripture you know if he just said, okay, I just need a minute a day and I'm done. You know? But you need to find a way that's comfortable for you to study scriptures. One of the things that I like to do, and I'm not saying go and try this because it may not work for you, but one of the things we have that we don't use enough is our imagination. You know, and in reading scripture, we can use our imagination. One of the things I love to do is put myself in the story. You know, not as Jesus or anything like that, you know, but just put myself there as a bystander, maybe as an extra disciple, and use as many of the senses that I have as I can as I read the story. You know, what's happening? Where are we going? All right, what are the smells? What are the sounds? What questions are being asked? As I'm reading that, maybe, you know, the disciples ask a question, Jesus answered, is there a question I would be thinking of if I was in that story? And for me, that helps me make Scripture come alive. Do I do that every time? No, but sometimes I do that. Try it. If you have a good imagination, it's a great way to just have stories in the Bible come alive. And you may see parts of it that you've never seen before. Or there may be other ways. But the one thing I want to encourage you is when you find a way you like, when it becomes habit, find a different way. Because so many times we find a way we like to read Scripture and after about 21 days to a month, we're not really getting anything from it. So then switch to another way of reading Scripture. That's how it stays alive. And I wish I could tell you, do this, this, and this, but you need to find what's comfortable for you, but also use variety. My dad used to always say, we went to church probably five different ways. I don't know, five to ten. And we never went the same way because we could, and he would always say the variety is the spice of life. All right? But, you know, in reading your Bible different ways, okay, makes it come alive. So that's the one way. The other thing that Paul did was he was a man of prayer. And one of the areas when I spent my time in prayer that God really hit me on was being still before him we are so busy 
or I'll just say I'm so busy because I don't want to put all of you in, in that same statement because some of you, I'm not busy. All right, I'm busy that it seems like to just be still and to be quiet is a hard thing for us to do. So many times we think, I don't have time to be still. I don't have time to be quiet. But it is so important. It is so essential. If you want to have a solid prayer life, if you want to have that relationship with God, you need to have the stillness part of it. If you read through Scripture, yes, God spoke in big ways, but it seemed like so many time after time after time, He just spoke in a still, small voice, in a whisper. And if the people weren't quiet or still, they missed it. So when I was gone, that was the first thing I had to do for my prayer time. It was, I was basically, my prayer time was broken into like six categories, and the first thing was stillness. It was tough. Okay? We're going to do an exercise in a second. So you may think when you hear how I struggled, but anyways, we're going to do it. Okay? But the first day, you know, one of the things was just get still, get rid of your distractions, don't think of anything else, and get to the point where for three minutes straight, you're just in God's presence. Nothing else is going through your head, but you're just concentrating on God. All right, I'll be honest with you. The first day, I think it was about 40 minutes till I finally got to that place. Because it was just trying to unwind, trying to slow down. And, you know, you're sitting there, okay, you know, I'm not thinking of anything. All of a sudden, something will pop into your head. And it's dumb things. It's nothing important. Maybe some of them are important, but most of them are just dumb things. Okay, i got to start over. You know? And finally, it was like after 40 minutes, I finally got to that place where it was just like me and God. And it was awesome. It was great to be in His presence. So here's what we're going to do. Alright? We're going to just take two minutes. And I want you guys, and I know you're thinking, well, man, the first time it took him 40 minutes. But we're going to take two minutes. I just want you guys to, to try this. Okay? And I want you just to try to be still, to be quiet, and to put yourself into God's presence. Again, here's a place you can use your imagination. Picture yourself in God's throne room. What would it look like, Him sitting on the throne, you worshiping in front of Him? Or whatever, to try to get yourself concentrated just on God and Him alone. And we're going to just take two minutes of silence. And we'll see how we do. Okay? You ready? That's, that was real encouraging. <laughs> All right. Let's try this for two minutes. Here we go. 